0: Something to write with, and we're going to look at and I'll tell you how to get there in a minute. But here's what I want you to hear: the gift of wisdom is the gift of character. The gift of wisdom is the gift of character. Write that down. That'll be the first uh, piece on your on your notepad. Because uh, wisdom, character produces the ability to apply the truths of Scripture in practical ways. And I suspect that's the real gift of these smaller letters in the back of the New Testament that we're looking at these next few weeks. They show us how first-century followers of Jesus applied the truths revealed to them through Jesus Christ. In these letters, we get a sense that these people who have had an encounter with Jesus, are now learning how to apply these deep-end truths. We saw it last week in Paul's word to Titus. It was a real-world application of the good news. In that short letter, Paul was teaching a spiritual son how to do the gospel and how to teach other people how to do the gospel. Because the gospel is good news, and Christians do good. And because God is good, so... Paul told Titus, do the gospel and and go find other leaders who will also do the gospel with you. That was our first week in this series, Little Books, Big Message. And today we're going to look at Paul's letter to Philemon. You find it, if you go to find uh, Hebrews toward the end of the New Testament. It's not the last book, but it's toward the end of the New Testament. If you find Hebrews, find the first page and flip back one page, you'll find Philemon. Philemon. Um, Josh and I were saying just to look just before the service, you know, Philemon's like that twenty dollar bill that your grandmother puts in your Bible to see if you actually read your Bible.
1: Cause this is like or this is more like a five hundred dollar
0: bill. Do they have five hundred dollars? This is like that. This is like a check from your grandmother stuck in the middle of the back of your Bible and the part where your pages are stuck together because this is gold to see if you've read it. So um, that's where we are. Philemon has no chapters, just 25 verses. And here's the message of this letter. It's also about character and about living the gospel. The big message of Philemon is this, do grace like this. Do grace like this. So let's look at how Paul teaches this lesson. this This is a letter from Paul to a dear friend and a partner in the faith. The whole letter's just 335 words long, third shortest book in the Bible, but don't let the word count for you. It is packed. It is packed. Grace is the whole deal. makes it among the most powerful letters in the New Testament. Brilliant. The day Paul wrote this, he must have been firing on all cylinders. He, he managed to get so much spiritual work done in 335 words. He's about to restore our relationship, teach a handful of church leaders what deep in grace looks like and what it requires of us And he's going to also preach the practical cross. Here's, here's how the cross lays on top of your life right where you live. And he's going to demonstrate sanctification as a journey of healing that dips into every area of our lives. And he will show us that grace is not a New Testament invention. That there's continuity between the Old Testament and the New, especially along this theme of grace. Which is to say that our God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He has not changed. The grace that covers us and calls us today is no less relevant than when we first discovered it, not at the cross, but in Genesis. There's a lot to cover in 335 words, so let's get started. The point of the letter is to encourage a business owner in Colossae. I'm giving you the backstory right now. A business leader in Colossae, a man named Philemon, to reconcile with Onesimus, who had been his slave. Remember that first century slavery is indentured slavery, most likely, not the kind of slavery we think of in, in, in America. Evidently, Onesimus had run away from Philemon's house, while, and while he wasn't a believer at the time, He somehow ran straight to Paul. Under Paul's guidance, he became a Christian. And one of the first things Paul taught him was the importance of reconciliation. That, for Paul, is the work of someone who follows Jesus. He told the Corinthians, he said, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I want you to hold that thought, because we're going to come back to it. So knowing that Onesimus needed as part of his commitment to Christ to make peace with Philemon, Paul sent him back to the place where Onesimus was once a slave, really, technically speaking, was still a slave, just an escaped one, with a letter addressed to his owner, Philemon. So this letter from Paul is asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a partner. I want you to look at verse 1. Paul uh, Paul writes this, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, but also to Athia, our sister, who may have been Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus is one of my personal favorites in the New Testament. Um, and to the church that meets in your home. I want to stop here and to say something about Archippus. His name is also mentioned at the. It's only these two places here in Philémon and at the very end of Colossians. I mean, this whole letter to the church in Colossians, Coloss, and and at the very end of it, he starts calling a few people out. And I think of Archippus like he's sitting in the back of the room playing work with friends, and all of a sudden his name gets called out in this letter. Tell Archippus, Paul wrote as he's wrapping up this letter. See to it. Tell Archippus, as you see to it that you finish the work you began in the Lord. And that is huge. Actually, that message, that finish what you started message is important to this letter to Philemon. Because, listen, Paul is calling Philemon to the radical edge of grace. To the it is finished edge of it. We don't have permission to live a half grace life. What so makes this letter so radical? Paul is giving Philemon the deep end of a graceful life. You know that old saying, almost only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear bombs? It's true, actually. And forgiveness is not horseshoes, hand grenades, or nuclear bombs. Which means, almost doesn't count in the art of forgiveness. It doesn't count. There's no almost to it. We either get grace or we don't. And my whole prayer for all of us this morning this has been my prayer for days now—because I don't want to suffer through Philemon alone. And everything is asking of me. I want us all to get grace—the radical edge of it. Okay, look at verse three: "Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Never assume that those are throwaway words for Paul. When he says grace and peace, he means it. You feel his hunger for it. Grace is serious business for him. And while he's blessing his readers with grace and peace, he not only wants us to have it, but he gets it. That peace only happens when we get grace. You should write that down. Peace only happens when we get grace. Look at verse 4. I always thank my God. As I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And this is verse 6. I want you to underline the whole verse. The whole thing. I pray that your partnership, triple underline that. Your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Underline that too. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother has refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It's one of those parts, as I tell you, you have to read these little letters while smiling to understand the heart, the deep heart, that Paul has for his friends. So two things I, I hear in just that part we've read. First, this is how Paul tends to give wisdom and teaching. He begins with encouragement, and then he gives his advice, and then he ends with encouragement. And I think that is a great pattern speaking wisdom and accountability into somebody's life and God is probably going to shake you up this morning and put somebody on your on your heart that you need to follow up with and that's the pattern you need to learn from this passage encouragement wisdom encouragement and all of it positively expressed the second thing that word partnership in verse six that's deep the Greek word is Koinonia. Too often we we uh, we translate that word as fellowship, and so we make it like fellowship suppers and fellowship hall and, you know, the stuff hanging out with each other and eating, but it's really so much deeper than that. It's a very rich word. It means what verse 6 says, actually. Deeping your, deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. But it isn't just sharing, like, you take your half, I'll take my half. No, this, this kind of sharing is what N.T. Wright calls mutual participation. You should write that down. Koinonia is mutual participation. In other words, koinonia says we belong to each other. Koinonia means we belong to each other. In other words, we are bound together and our work is to serve each other. That's why, friends, we never have permission to leave anyone in that lonely desert of unforgiveness. It's it's going to be all the one-anothers that Jesus throws at us in the Gospels. All of them sort of bound up together. Jesus hammering it into his people. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Build up one another. Serve one another. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble about one another. Accept one another. And here's what you really, all of you really need to know about this word. Koinonia, and Jesus teaches us, koinonia is done, not possessed. We do koinonia because we are koinonos. We are partners, equals, because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So at what point you think, that you are brilliant and someone else is an idiot, you may not be getting the full flavor of koinonia. So we had got to boil this letter down. I keep doing this. Boiling this letter from Paul to Philemon down to one sentence. This is what I vote for. Do koinonia like this. Or in other words, do grace like this. Do grace like this. And here's the this Paul wants Philemon to do. Look at verse 8. He says, Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I love that. You know? Why? Because I said so, that's why. I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Because there is no grace in forcing people to do grace. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. This is Paul saying, for me, what you're dealing with, that's child's play. you get, you got this. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is He has become useful both to you and to me. And this is just brilliant. Paul is brilliant. The name Onesimus literally means useful or to have some benefit. It was a common name for slaves. So Paul is making a memorable connection here for Philemon. Onesimus, this slave who evidently ran away from Philemon, so he either stole himself from Philemon Or he stole himself and something else. This is not a guy. It's not. This is not just a. It's just a. You know, misunderstanding here. If we all get together, I'm sure we'll clear this up. No, this is a guy who stole from Philemon. This slave found his way into Paul's world, and then found himself under the power of grace, and now, and the strength of that power, and the strength of grace. He is being called by his Father in the faith not to keep running. Come on, people. Not to keep running, but to walk back into the circumstances he ran from in the power of grace. And I so want to go back and preach Hagar's story right now. You remember her, right? Actually tossed out of the house by Abram and Sarai. But left sitting in the desert, ready to die, and God comes to her in her desperation and says, No, you've got to go back to the, to the very thing that has rejected you, but now you will go back with my blessing laid over you. It turns out that when we carry forgiveness, whether it is to receive it or give it, we hold the power. Stop and think about that for a minute. When we walk in forgiveness, whether giving or receiving, we walk in power. Totally counterintuitive. Totally biblical. Totally true. When we choose forgiveness, we're the ones who carry the power in a relationship. We have power to offer peace. We have power to end the conflict power to set other people free. We have power to help someone get past their guilt. Remember how Paul opened this letter, grace and peace to you? Philemon could offer grace to Onesimus by forgiving him, but by giving Philemon the chance to forgive and get rid of the anger and the bitterness, Onesimus could offer peace to Philemon. And I can tell you, because most people don't come to me saying, what I really want is grace. Most people come to me saying, what I really want is peace, just some peace. These are two equal, huge gifts, grace and peace. Do grace like this. Do peacemaking like this. Do koinonia like this. This is the deal that Paul offers Philemon, verse 12. I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would, And this, that's bold, isn't it? But it's not like I'm going to send the letter, see how it goes, and then send Onesimus. Nope, I'm sending him with the letter face to face to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, because you're not here, he is. I love this. He channels my mother all through this letter. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced. Again, you can't force grace, but voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Not, not as a slave, but as a partner, as a brother. He's very dear to me, and this is powerful. He's dear to me, but he is even more dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. This is brilliant, friends, all of it. Listen, it is is this gentle wisdom of a father in the faith to a son to let go of pride and to assume that God actually can work in another person's life. To bring true transformation to someone who once harmed Philemon. And, and also a chance to learn that the fallen system, even if it's indentured slavery, it's still slavery. The fallen system that once held them together, an imbalanced system of indentured slavery, is not a creation story system. Philemon, you can know, have this man back. And have him whole and holy. He is You're willing to do the gospel, to do koinonia, to do grace. Paul, again, drawing back into the deep well of the Old Testament to Joseph's story, which we also don't have time to tell, so you'll have to look it up. But that that forgiveness story is a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus and the glory of the cross. You meant it for evil, Joseph told the brothers who'd sold him into slavery. But God meant it for good. So there we have it, Hagar the servant girl, Joseph sold into slavery, Onesimus the slaves all set free by the power of grace. That's what Paul wants for Philemon, not to guilt him into forgiving someone, but to see that what may have began as a difficult circumstance— now has the potential to be used by God to set not just Onesimus free, but Philemon free from his slavery by the power of grace. Come on, people. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're the ones who who become children of God. So, verse 17, if you consider me a partner, Paul says, if we belong to each other, if there's mutual participation in our relationship, then you welcome him like you would welcome me. And now Paul is starting to talk like a little Christ. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, you charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. And in this line, not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> Which is also part of Paul's brain. He's actually not channeling my mom. This is this is him. He's able to mix the deep end grace of the gospel with this gentle playfulness. Come on, Philemon, loosen up. You've been given grace, too. Why don't you give somebody else some grace? And then Paul says, verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing. You will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, which is just the best, Paul wants to make sure Philemon knows that no permanent damage can be done when it's done under the cover of grace. One thing more, Paul writes, you prepare a guest room for me. Because I want to be restored to you in answer to your prayers for me. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't want to just be in your thoughts and prayers. I want to be in your life. I want to be in your home. And then Paul ends the letter the way he began, with some greetings to some people they both know, and then with uh, with the praying grace of the Lord Jesus over Philemon's spirit. That's Paul's genuine prayer, that Philemon will get grace. Deep and radical, life-transforming, pride-sacrificing grace. What does all that mean to us? Paul's radical call here is not to get over it or to compartmentalize it, stick it off someplace, and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. No, his call here is to be transformed. This is a teaching about just how far the gospel of grace calls us to go. It will ask us to examine our deepest motives, and it will challenge us to believe that wounds can heal, that people can change, that forgiveness is freedom, that sanctification is healing. I want you to write this down. Sanctification is a million little healings, and most of them happen in the context of relationship, all of them happen in the context of grace. Million little heels. It's the risk we take in believing that if we give God our worst, He will give us something back. It's the risk we take in believing that risks can fully reconciled, that people can be trusted or trusted again, that ours is the ministry of reconciliation. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on, we regard no one from an earthly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry belongs to you and to me. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not Counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us that same message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, this is Paul doing exactly what he said we're supposed to do. We are, therefore, God's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in Him we might be little Christ. Do grace like this. Do coin me like this. Do you consider me a partner? Do we belong to each other? There is mutual participation. And you need to welcome the person you're mad at like you're welcoming Jesus. And if someone has done you wrong, charge it to me. I'll pay it back. I was trying to figure out how to make that line from Paul's letter to Philemon fit like it was Paul's letter to somebody else. And then it, it hit me as I was writing it. Because we have people in our community. Every single church on the face of the planet has people who are at odds with each other. And that's in a good day. And a pandemic, and an election year, when some things are political and other things we just don't understand what to do with, folks are mad with each other, and I have heard more than my share of it. I'm having a hard time coming back because of this person I'm mad at, and sometimes it's me. And all I could think when I was writing this was you know what? Charge it to me. I'm the one who hasn't been discipled well enough. I'm the one who hasn't discipled my flock well enough to know. You don't lob bombs on social media. I'm the one who did that. You charge it to me is we belong to each other. To grace like this. Where does the radical work of grace need to take hold of your life right now? Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation by Jesus Christ himself, who came expressly for that purpose. I want to give you five really practical ways get started. And I know what time it is and you're thinking, ah,
1: but I'm going to go quick, okay? Write them down. Number one,
0: if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That's the way the saying goes, but that's not actually in the Bible. Actually what's in the Bible is, if you can't say something nice, why is that? Why is that? Dig down deep and ask yourself, where is this anger, this frustration, this negative negativity coming from? It's probably coming from some wound somewhere down in there that somebody's touching, maybe like that. <laughs> and God is saying to you, you know, I want to get you to the place where you can live this, whatever is true,
1: whatever is
0: honorable, whatever is just, whatever is commendable, whatever is pure and pleasing, if there's anything excellence or anything worthy of praise, you're able to think on those things. If you can't say something nice, figure out why that is. Start here. Number two, you keep praying. If you've got somebody right now you're struggling with, you keep praying and pray and pray some more. Nothing else will do more to create a healing environment in your soul. You just keep the prayer lines open, God. I don't know how to talk to this person. Or I don't know if I should talk to this person. Or I don't. I don't understand what the deal is between us. Whatever, you just be honest with God. David showed us how in Psalm fifty-five. We just, we were just there. And in fact, you may need to not only talk to God, but to a human being who can help you to. Hold you accountable. You can help you process your thoughts. Be honest with them. Ask them to walk with you through it. Ask them to pray for you. Hold you accountable until you reach a peace, a place where you can be at peace, and you can offer the ministry of reconciliation. Pray and praise more. Then part number three. This is if you can't say something nice. Part two. Or I may have to come back to God again. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my ways. And see if there's anything wicked in me, and lead me in the way that leads to life everlasting. Ask for God's insight into your own issues with grace, because God doesn't usually allow us to bury our pain and move on. When we seek Him in prayer, ask for the mind of Christ. He will show us where we fail, and he'll show us where we've been wounded, and he'll show us a path. I guarantee you, he will show you the path, and that's the path you have to take. Number four, you go to that person and offer peace. And I'm not Jesus, but I'm just telling you, sort of like Paul, you know, in my age, I can say, if he's telling you to do it on social media or by text, that's probably not Jesus. Vincent us back to do this face-to-face. That's the way you get to real peace. Grace and peace. We've been faithful and dealing maturely with our own pain and conflict. Eventually the Lord will bring us to a place where we're ready to make peace. Paul said, This is the ministry of Jesus. He came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off, and peace to you who are near, for through him both of us have access to the one Spirit. It's the coolest part of the story of Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul could see it. He says, If you take him back, you don't get the same Onesimus who left you, or the same relationship that left you. you. a whole new relationship. A partner. Somebody who's there, not by force, but by grace. And if you take him back, Philemon, you become a new person. You will become someone who gets grace. So you get the whole package, the practical cross, and you learn how the cross lays on top of your life right where you live, and you get to demonstrate sanctification as a million little healings, and you get the ministry of reconciliation, and then you get to live it, and you'll discover that our God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, He has not changed, and the grace that covered you at your Salvation is big enough to cover your wounds now. And it's big enough to cover everyone around you. And when you live it, this is five, you get to teach someone else how to do grace like this. Don't you love this book so much? So, much. so gentle,
1: and honest,
0: and straightforward. It is not brain surgery to do grace. And you don't have permission as follow Jesus not. To. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.